Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to jump into the message today, which we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 2. And um, Colossians 2.15 is the verse that we're going to be reading today. We've been, for the last few weeks, we've, we've been on a portion of Colossians 2 that uh, is talking about traps. And so I've asked Peter to go swap out some things in the HDMI so that you can see what I see on my laptop. I want to show it to you the way that I study it. Um, but we've been talking about traps. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, 8 and 9, he says, Beware lest anyone ensnare you or trap you and take you captive. And so there's actually three sort of warnings that Paul gives in Colossians 2. The first one is to look out for traps. And over the past few weeks, we've been diving into different traps. We've really been breaking down some of the traps of the enemy. And hopefully, you've been discovering some traps even in your own life and how, how to avoid them, how to get out of them, how to follow the example of Jesus, uh, what Jesus did. But um, Paul says, look out for traps. And then in verse 16, he says, he says, don't let anyone judge you. Touch somebody tell them, you can't judge me. Don't let anybody judge you. Um, it's interesting. It's actually the word condemn. Um, and so we're going to talk about that next week. All right. So that's not, that's not this week. But he says, don't let anybody condemn you. And then the third warning, uh, Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. So the three things, don't let anyone trap you. Don't let anyone judge you, and don't let anyone disqualify you. Um, and so, we're so far, we're on the trap one. And today, I'm going to wrap up the traps. Gonna wrap up the traps. I'm going to put a cap on the trap. Um, so, uh, but, but honestly, we're just, just looking contextually at the text, um, which is what we've been doing. We've been slowly walking through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. Well, when you, well, when you do that, when you look at the text of, of Colossians 2.15, the verse 15 is kind of the end of that paragraph. It's the end of the paragraph where he's talking about traps. And he says, don't let anyone trap you. And, and then in verse 15, he says, and this is the final sort of the pinnacle of what he's talking about. He said, look, he's talking about Jesus. Thanks, Pete. He says, Jesus has spoiled principalities and powers. Uh, the NIV says he has disarmed them. So the final greatest reason why you don't need to be stuck in a trap in your life which if you are stuck in a trap, if you're stuck in a, in a habit you can't get out of, if you're stuck in a cycle that you can't get out of, if you're, if you're caught in a trap, I got some good news for you. Jesus has spoiled or disarmed the principalities and powers. Principalities and powers, that's, that's Paul's way of saying demonic forces, demonic powers that are trying to trap you and ensnare you. He says that Jesus has disarmed them. He has disarmed the principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, as we read this passage, it's obviously full of hope. It's full of good news. I think, I think church ought to be preaching good news. I, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm all Mr. Gushy-Wushy, sloppy, grace, whatever. I, I just happen to think, I just happen to think that it's good news. I just happen to think that God has good plans for us, and he has a good will for us, and he has good thoughts toward us, and he wants a good life for us, and a good family for us, and good uh, working environment for us, and I mean, I just think God's good, and he's got some good news for us, and this is what Paul's saying. He says, man, look, let me tell you about Jesus. He disarmed the principalities and powers, the very things that were attacking us, that were enslaving us. Jesus disarmed them. Well, how do you disarm a trap? How do you disarm a trap? It's interesting, in this word, in, in this verse, for those of you that are new, you're going to find out that I really like to study the Bible. And if you want to study the Bible, you go up there to blueletterbible.org, okay? So this is what's on my laptop all the time. I go to blueletterbible.org, and to the left of the verse, there's this little link that says tools, okay? So you click on tools, and this drop-down menu will explode upon you. Um, this is, of course, the King James Version, but you can do it in any version that you like. But the drop-down is basically over here on the left, you have the English words, and then on the right, you have the original language um, that the verse was written in. This is often helpful 
Because if you don't understand a verse, you can dig a little deeper into it and you can maybe understand it more. And one thing that I saw in this verse is that every, every sentence, every sentence has a subject, has a verb, and has an object, right? We're going back to fifth grade or fourth grade, maybe, I don't know. Every sentence has a, has a subject, that's the person doing the action. It has an action, that's the thing that person did, and then it has an object of the action or the recipient of the action. So I talked about this a couple weeks ago, how you could say that Harry lost his car, right? Harry is the subject, lost is the verb, his car is the object of that verb. And you could suffice that. That would, that would be a sentence. Really, technically, Harry lost car could be a sentence. It would be a bad sentence, but that's a sentence because it has the three main things you need in a sentence. Well, then, because us English people just like to be really annoying, we created other things called adverbs, or in the Greek language, participles, that help describe the verb. They're also verbs, but they're not the main verb. Does that make sense? So in that sentence, Harry lost his car, a, a, a participle or an adverb would be, Harry lost his car, is the verb, and then while wandering around the parking lot of Six Flags. That's the participle there. Because it is a verb, Harry's wandering around, but it's not the main verb. The main verb that we want you to get is that Harry lost his car. But the wandering around is an adverb or it's a participle. It's something that helps explain how Harry lost his car. And so when you're, when you're studying scripture, it helps to know a little bit of, of English grammar rules because you'll figure out that, 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 that the ancient uh, Greeks also had, they had a subject, they had a verb, and they had an object of that verb. Well, in this sentence, when you, when, when you study this, you'll see that, that the, 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 the subject is Jesus. Jesus is, is the person doing the action. And what Jesus did, the main verb is this word right here. He made a show of them. To make a show of them uh, it means to uncover or to, to reveal them. So what's cool when you're studying these, these, these scriptures, you can click on this little link right here. It's a Strong's uh, Concordance number. Okay, so you click on that and it'll take you um, to, a, to a, 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 a zoomed in view of that one particular word to make a show of them. And you'll see that this word, its root word, is this right here. You can click on that and also follow that. When I did that, I noticed right here that, that to make a show is to, well, show something, like show and tell, but also to, to find a specimen of anything or an example or a pattern. And I thought that was so interesting because that's what we've basically been doing over the last few Sundays. We've been showing the pattern We've been revealing, uncovering the pattern of the principalities and powers. The principalities, see, the, the weapon of a trap, when he disarmed the principalities and powers, the weapon of a trap is secrecy. The weapon of a trap is darkness, it's cover, it's hiddenness. When a trap is uncovered, it's no longer dangerous. Because you see it for what it is. I don't know if any of you, well... Some of none of you people are cruel enough to ever catch mice, but in Michigan, we used to have these little things called mice mouse traps, and you'd get some peanut butter and you'd put it on the thing and you pull the little guillotine back and <laughs> you and you, you you clip it on. Well, that's a trap because it's hidden because because it looks like a treat when really it's a trap. And the mouse goes walking along, and says, "Hey, free peanut butter." They just happen to drop a big dollop of peanut butter on this big metal contraption, right? And it traps the mouse. Well, this is what the enemy does to us all the time. He presents it as a treat when really it's a trap. He got some peanut butter, and, and we don't see it for what it is. But if you take the peanut butter off the trap, you're not catching any mice. Like, this is not going to happen. And so there has to be a deception with the trap. And as soon as Jesus removed the deception of the trap, he removed the potency or the power of the trap. When you take away the cover of the trap, when you expose the pattern of the principalities, the principalities lose their power when their pattern is exposed. That's why, that's why man, I've been feeling so, so uh, burdened to share with you all the pattern of these, these different traps. And that's why, even though maybe it's not popular to do in church, I've been naming like actual traps and we've been breaking down actual patterns of real things you guys are going through because it, it, when you see the pattern, 
the trap loses its power. You see why you stepped into that trap to begin with. It wasn't about the, it was, it wasn't about the metal bar and the guillotine. It was about the peanut butter. You were going for the peanut butter. And so, and, 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 and so, so Jesus, he defeated, he exposed, he laid bare, uh, he says openly exposed, which means concisely or without any vagueness. He didn't leave anything, he had nothing to read between the lines. He, he, he made a show of them. He revealed their patterns. That's the verb of the sentence. That's not really one of my points. That's just an introduction. Sorry. Uh, my actual points have to do not with the actual verb of the sentence, but really the participles. Because this is what's so interesting to me. You have this one verb, Jesus making a show of them, but you actually have kind of a long sentence that has a number of other verbal statements, like this one right here. Having spoiled them. Or having disarmed them. This is a participle, or this is an adverb that helps describe how Jesus made a show of them. How did Jesus reveal the patterns of the principalities and powers? Well, number one, he did this right here. He, he spoiled them. That's King James. If you click on this little link right here, it'll give you the strongest concordance. And in the strongest concordance, it says, to wholly put off, to denote separating from what is put off, to wholly strip off. To strip off. So how did Jesus reveal the patterns of the trap? He stripped off the clothes, the fake uniforms that that trap was wearing. He removed, he removed the, he stripped them, as they would say in Texas, naked. He said naked in church. <sighs> yep, I did. So go tell your mom. Uh... I know someone's going to comment about that on Facebook. Naked, 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 naked. I said that one time the other day, and everyone's like, oh, he said naked. Okay, well, anyway, I didn't say it. Jesus, this is what Jesus did. He stripped off, because when you strip off this, you see, you see the real person underneath. When you, when, when you get past, because you can, you can look like anything you want to look like if you just shop at the right store. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everyone's like, where do you get your clothes? I'm like, H&M. It's always H&M. It's never anything but H&M. I just wear what H&M sells. That's what I wear. I don't have my own sense of style. I borrow it from H&M models. I just buy their stuff. It, it, you, you can look like any particular, like if you want to be skater, like, you just, you, like you, just, you just go to a skater shop. Like you, I mean, you know, Hot Topic, that's a little crazy. But anyway, like you just kind of just choose whatever the heck you want, whatever works for you. You can dress up as whatever you want. That's the thing about clothes. And when Jesus removed the clothes of the principalities and powers, they no longer got to present themselves as they wanted to be presented. They presented themselves as they actually were. And when you see what they actually are, you are not attracted to a trap. You're attracted to the pre presentation of that trap. And what's, 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 what's concerning, though, is that Paul is having to write this. Remember, Paul's writing to a church. They've been established for about five years. And he's coming to them, and he's warning them against anyone that might trap them. Well, who, who might trap them? Well, in this context, it was a certain group of people known as Gnostics. It was, it was religious teachers that came into the church and said, yeah, Jesus is great, but really we also need to be keeping the Mosaic law. We need to, we need to make sure our diets don't include pork. We need to make sure we, we keep the Sabbath days. We need to make sure that we celebrate the new moons. All the stuff that God talked about in the Old Testament as much as we can, physical circumcision, right? We need to, we need to get on all of that because that's also important. And Paul said, be careful, man, be careful that Jesus stripped naked. Jesus has already stripped naked the trap. Be careful you don't lend it a new jacket. <laughs> because that's what happens. This is like the reason why this is applicable 2,000 years later is that I'm still looking at people who are handing out jackets, so I brought, so I brought just a couple of jackets, because I, I don't have a three-hour-long sermon, so each jacket is a little bit of time. Uh, so I grabbed this one. This is the jacket that I was married in, honey, nearly 13 years ago. Still fits. Boom. Oh, yeah. It's not quite as slim as my other jackets, cause, but it's H&M. They keep changing all the time. 13 years ago is what they were doing. 
I, I, just, I just grabbed this out of the closet because to me, this is one of the jackets, I think, that we allow principalities to put back on. And it's the jacket of religion because it's pinstriped, sharp, it's good, and it covers a lot, which is really important for religion. Because for religion to remain dangerous, I mean man-made religion, I mean human religion, it has got to cover up a lot. And it's, it's got to make sure that it, it helps you look the part. It's got to make sure that it helps you look sharp. And there's nothing against looking sharp. I'm really not against, if you want to wear a suit and tie to church, I mean, City Chapel is awesome. If you want to wear shorts, you can do that too. That's kind of how we roll. But but, 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 but the jacket of religion covers up a lot and usually ends up pointing out other people's faults. <laughs> the jacket of religion feels better when it can put other people down. Because if you can always be talking about the, the, the struggles of other people, or what is it, or what is it they say? I feel, I feel so burdened. That's what they say. They say, I feel burdened. About, about my, my sister so-and-so. Jonathan, I, did you see her post on Facebook? I just, I mean, this is just prayer request. I'm not gossiping. It's just a prayer request. I just, I just, I just think we need to gather together and pray for so-and-so because did you see what they posted? I mean, I mean, wh- what are they, so, what is the sin in their life? I'm so burdened for the sin. Sin burdens me, not really my own sin. <laughs> <laughs> specifically not my own sin. In fact, I'm never burdened by my own sin. I'm never even hardly aware of my own sin. Or my favorite is, Pastor, I prayed a lot about this before I sent that. Really? Did you? Did you pray? Did you really pray? Did you really pray? How much did you pray? Because when you prayed about the stuff you were gossiping to sister so-and-so about, brother so-and-so, why didn't the Holy Spirit tell you? Why didn't he... Take, why didn't he take off the jacket of religion and tell you and convict you for your gossip? Instead, you are all burdened about what sister so-and-so lied about brother so-and-so. That's the jacket of religion. Maybe you're, you haven't been exposed to that, but those of us that grew up in church, we know a little bit about the jacket of religion because it's always trying to make me look good. And so sometimes I have to get you to check out so-and-so so that I can look better and you won't notice that I am slipping up. And I'm always checking my angles and making sure everything's covered on my side of, of, of things. And, and, and I'm always so burdened by other people's sin. It's, 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 it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a demonic. It is a demonic spirit that will enslave you and trap you and get you to believe that if you can just look good enough, sing good enough, have, have, have a particular gifting, be recognized, get the, the, the lead usher badge, you know, if, if you can just get other people to not talk about your Facebook feed, if you can just, if, if you can, if, then, then you will be worthy to stand in the presence of God. But until then, you better cover up. It's a trap, man. It's a trap of shame. It's a trap of, of, of jealousy. Because you tear other people down because really you want what they got. You want the house they have. You want the spouse they have. You want the life they have. You want the gift they have. You want the children they have. You want the church they have. You want the city. You, you're, 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 you're so unable to look inside. This is the trap of religion is that eventually it wraps around you so tightly that you dare not even look inside. You get so concerned about other people not looking that then you become afraid. And, and, then, and, then, and then it blurs your vision of God because you think that God also doesn't want to see any of this. And it hinders your, your prayer life. Even when nobody's around, you won't even say what's really going on. When nobody's around, you'll still pretend like everything is good. Because, because you believe your heavenly father is looking for a perfectly dressed, perfectly mannered person. You know that's not you, or at least you suspect it's not. So, of course, you're burdened about other people's sins. But can I just say, you're, like, their sins aren't any worse than yours. That, 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 that's, that's one of the lies of religion, that private sins are better than public sins. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like I mean, I know I got a little bit of judgment. I, I, know I'm a little, I know I'm a little bit of drama. That's code for gossip 
that's code for always talking about other people. I know a little bit, I know, I know a little drama. Really? It, it, yeah, it just, it just follows me. Come on, Jonathan. You know, I don't like, I, I hate drama. There's always drama all around me. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Yes, there is. All around you, everywhere you walk. <laughs> but you can't see it, and you hate it. Can you imagine hating? Can you, ima- can you imagine being a skunk? Everywhere you go. I smell skunk. I smell skunk around here. That's a skunk. I need to move over here. That's still a skunk. What is going on? I mean, like, like this is the problem when you're actually smelling you. It'll, it'll distort even your ability to hear from God because God, because pastor, 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 there's a, a spirit of offense in the church. I know there's a spirit of offense in the church, a spirit of offense. Really? Yeah, because so-and-so really offended at me. I just know because I was talking to so-and-so who was telling to so-and-so, and there's a spirit of offense. We got to pray against that. Maybe Lord's trying to talk to you, I think. I think he's, I think it's a direct message directly to you. Yeah, I think he's got your name on the email. Oh, no, 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 I'm covered, I'm good. It affects your intimacy with God. Well, you're like, you know, so fake burden about everybody else. I'm burdened about you, that, that you have to constantly keep up this charade. You have to constantly keep performing. You can never just... You can never just share, you know, what's really going on. You can never just be honest. You can never just be you. You can never just take off the jacket. You can never, you can say, Lord, no, we can't do that. You can never just, just remove the covering of religion and, 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 and just be honest when you're struggling. Because, well, I, then, then I'm not good enough. Then I'm not accepted. But, man, Jesus pulled off the jacket of religion, and he exposed it for what it is. Self man made effort to try to be good enough. Man made effort to try to, to look the part, play the part, sound the part, talk the part, walk the part. And it always falls short, and it's never what it was intended to be because we were never intended to be able to ascend the hill of the Lord by ourselves. We, we have to have the blood of Jesus. But man, when God, when Jesus rips off the jacket of religion, you find that you are accepted, you find that you have a father who actually likes you. He actually likes you. You, not your jacket. Not your denomination, not your church, not your attendance record, not your Bible reading. You. He likes you. That's what we talked about Wednesday night. So Pacho talked about was a father who loves us. And it was it was so cool. After service, I was talking to a guy who's been in our church for, for a little while, and he was saying that somebody was asking him about why he left the church he was at. And he said, Well, the Lord led us to lead it, to leave it. But after we've left it, we've been introduced to this God who actually likes me. I never knew that God existed. I knew a God who had a bunch of rules. I knew a God who was kind of angry when I messed up. I knew a God who wanted me to act right. I knew a God who handed me a jacket at the door and said, keep this on. I knew a God who, who had these hoops for me to jump through. I never knew a God who just loved me, who just desired me, who just created me and wanted to pursue me and wanted a relationship with me, who, who accepted. Because this is what Je- Jesus totally disarmed this demonic spirit when he was stripped of his titles. When he was stripped, actually, of all of his clothes, he was stripped naked in front of everyone. He was abandoned. Talk about some, some bad text messages going around about him. You see that, see that guy? Guess he wasn't the real deal. I talk about, well, he, he trusted in God. Where is God now? Looks like God's abandoned him. Every, he lost his, his reputation. He lost his title. He was hanging in a place of shame. And yet, his father never abandoned him. Yet, three days later, his father raised him up from the dead. So here's my, here's my statement to the, to the demon of religion. I, I, like, your jacket's cute, I have to admit. You look good, you sound good, but have you ever raised anybody from the dead? If wisdom is justified by her children, where are your children? Where, what have you birthed? What have you produced? In all of your rules, in all of your religion... 
No, your children are leaving the church. That's what's happening. Your teenagers are running away from this God that you say is so wonderful. And the minute they get offered something better, and there's a lot of better stuff than this out there. That's why, man, that's why religious people are so afraid of the world. That's why they're so scared, because they're afraid that their their kids are going to meet something better, because there is actually better stuff out there than a jacket. Then a dress code, then a then a then a sing this, listen to that. Somebody, <laughs> I was uh, I was listening to one minister. He was talking about uh, his missionary journeys, and and he said, "Man, even if even if Christ isn't real, it was still worth it for me to be a missionary because it's just the best life possible." And I thought, man, that's not biblical. Paul said, "If Christ hasn't been raised, then we are of of all men most to be pitied. We are the biggest." the biggest losers of all time. We have jacked up our life. We, we, we turned away from so much pleasure. We walked away from so many beautiful opportunities for what? No, God blesses you in your life. Absolutely. God loves to do that. But, but this, this, this is not the goal. That chair that you're sitting in, we love that you're sitting there, but that's not the goal. Book that you read, and I hope you read it, that's not the goal. There's something better. It's Jesus. He disarmed this religious spirit, and he made a show of them. He also disarmed our independence. That's why I got my Harley jacket there, but I don't have time to get into it. I'm not against Harley Davidson. I just, it's my one cool jacket. Figured I, gives me fake shoulders. I figured it was cool. But man, I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a jacket of independence and rebellion that we wear. It's kind of the opposite of religion because religion says you must conform, but independence says you just have to be yourself and you don't need anybody. You don't need any authority. Just me and Jesus, right? <laughs> it's me and Jesus on the stick. Sitting on a rock next to a tree. It's like, man, look, I mean, it's true. Jesus is on that rock by that tree with you. Absolutely. Not in August, by the way. He's not outside anywhere. (laughs) The Lord has left. I'm just telling you, he's up in Maine right now. That's where the Lord, oh, come on, somebody. That's where, uh, no, I'm just kidding. He's outside. I mean, he's everywhere. Yeah, and I mean, you can worship. You can praise Jesus in your car. I mean, yeah, is, absolutely. You should. Why is that? Why are you, like, getting points for that? I praise Jesus in my car. <laughs> why wouldn't you? He's worthy in your car. Why, like, it's such a joyful thing to pray. We, we, our life is a praise to him. Jesus said, pray without ceasing. I prayed this morning. Oh, and then you stopped? What's wrong with you? Like, the real Christian, dude, come on. I mean, pray. I mean, yes, but that's not what church is about. Church isn't about praise or prayer. In Colossians 3, which we're going to get to sometime next year, um, Colossians 3, he says, church is about singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. I gotta sing the guy next to you. Yeah. Church is about, in the book of Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but do it even more so that you can encourage one another. Oh, but I got my jacket of independence, Pastor. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't, I don't need all that. Really? Because who's encouraging you on that rock by that tree with that stick? Just yourself. And the danger of the trap of independence is after a while, you don't, you can't discern between the voice of God and your own voice. Because you're literally just talking to yourself. But we are not... Okay, sorry, Billy Graham, rest in peace. There's no phrase like personal relationship with Jesus Christ in the Bible. That was made up. Personal relationship. There's no personal relationship with Jesus. It's It's not in the Bible. Can you know Jesus personally? Absolutely. But can you have a completely personal relationship with Jesus? No. Look, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Tell me how many of them can be experienced in a personal, just you in God setting. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? How do you know if you're walking with Him when his, the evidence of Him being in your life is love? 
you have to love, you can't just love yourself, you love other people. You gotta be around other people to know whether or not God is, so there's a personal relationship that doesn't even really make a whole lot of sense. We are a holy nation. That's a few people. Even the smallest nations, kind of, you know, more than one. A royal priesthood, there's a few in that group. A, a, a people, set apart, a people, group, a family of God. That's more than one. A body of many members. And so the, the independent, rebellious spirit says, I don't want to be under any authority. It's a trap. It's a trap. Because then you become the authority. And even like just this past week, I was talking to somebody who God had, God had told him to do something. And six days later, God changed his mind. And I said, well, I said, I would just, you know, pray about that because that doesn't seem much like God. He's not always like, hey, do this. No, just kidding, do that. And then he said, well, technically. And then he told me what was really going on. He had changed his mind. And I said, good. Now just don't confuse what you feel with what he says. But the problem is when you have that jacket on, nobody can tell you that. You never let anybody close enough to tell you that. You never have any pastor in your life. If, 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 if it was really just going to be Jesus and everybody, why did Jesus get 12 people and say, go make disciples? Why didn't he say, go tell them about, bring them to me and I'll take care of them all? No, he said, you go make disciples. Why did he say in the book of Titus to establish pastors and elders in every city? I'm not saying this because I want to control your life. I'm saying this because it's good for you. It doesn't have to be city chapel, but you need to find somebody who's following Jesus, who has a gift of pastoring, prophecy, apostles, teachers, evangelists, you know, the stuff God put in the body to equip the body for the work of ministry. You need to find that person. Oh, he's a human. He's flawed. Yeah, so are you. You need to find that person and say, hey, what do you think God's saying into my life? And I don't carry their Bible. They can carry their own Bible. But just, 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 just say, what, what is, what is God saying? Why would, why would Timothy, why would Paul write to Timothy all these qualifications for a shepherd if Jesus was going to be the main shepherd and all everybody else is just going to be sheep? No, of course I'm a sheep of God's flock, but he's asked me also to shepherd other people in humility because I myself am also a sheep and I know what it is to have weakness. I know what it is to, to shepherd out of weakness. If you can't be shepherded by somebody who is currently weak, you definitely don't have the humility to handle Jesus because he's a lot stronger than any of us. Because I come to you and I'm like, man, I, you know what? I just had that conversation with my wife just last week. But Jesus is like, I never said that. What are you talking, talking about? But that, that is why he wanted shepherds under him to help him become more relatable to them. For your good, not for your manipulation. There are, you know, people out there that will manipulate. Manipulate. Stay away from them. Don't let anyone judge you. That's next week. Stay away from them. But meanwhile, man, take off the jacket of independence and rebellion because it's killing you. It's hurting you. It really is. It really is. I'm, I swear. I swear. You take off that jacket, you'll grow more in 12 months than you did in 35 years before. I've seen it happen time and time again. It's just, it's a beautiful thing when we don't worship people, but when we come alongside people, serve with them in a community of faith. So that's the first participle. <laughs> now this next one's going to be a bit quicker. The second participle is found a little bit further down. So Jesus conquered them. He uh, exposed them, one, by stripping them, stripping off the jackets. But two, by triumphing over them. That's the other participle. And this is an interesting word. I want you to see uh, the outline of biblical usage translates it to triumph. But technically, it's right here. It's a derivative of the word triambus. So it's a noun, triambus, but it's in a verbal form. It's a derivative of the, of the noun triambus, which is right here a hymn sung in festal procession in honor of Bacchus. It's about to get, we're going to jump down the rabbit hole for just a minute. Is that okay? Like I said, if you can't handle me, you definitely can't handle Jesus because he gets weird. The Holy Spirit said to Paul, as Paul's writing this letter, hey, um, how about you describe this final 
thing using a word that the, these guys would have known, threambus, which is a noun, but he used it as a verb, so he threambused over them. And threambus is a hymn sung in worship to a Greek, a Greco-Roman god, Bacchus. So the simple fact of what Jesus did here, the short version, is he, he triumphed over them by worship. A hymn is worship. He worshiped over them. In the middle of his struggle, in the middle of his crucifixion, in the middle of his pain, he worshiped. And so once, I think that right there is a pretty good point, that even once you realize, once, once God pulls back the veil of the traps in your life, and he will, I'm telling you, if you ask him to take off the jacket, God will pull back the jacket and he'll let you see what's been, what's been trapping you all these years. And once he reveals it to you, you can't stay focused on that demonic power. You have to turn your face away from that thing and lift your eyes to the hills from whence comes your help. Worship belongs to the Lord in the middle of it, not after you have the victory, but in the middle of the struggle, you have to raise a hallelujah, which I think Michelle was singing about. You have to raise a hallelujah in the middle of it. And that's what Jesus did. He raised a hallelujah. Read Psalm 22. Just check out Psalm 22. You'll see what I'm talking about. We talked about it last week. He raised a hallelujah in the middle of his struggle. But it wasn't any kind of hallelujah. Paul could have just said, hey, I want you just to worship in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. But he didn't. He used a pagan word, threambus, to describe the kind of worship that Jesus did over his enemies. It's really hard to figure out how to describe to you what a threambus is. If you want to Google it, you can. It's interesting. It is a hymn sung to the Greco-Roman god Bacchus. And Bacchus is the god of wine and revelry. All the religious people are like, uh, this just sounds sketchy. It gets worse. Bacchus is the god of wine and revel. Apparently he invented wine and he's like drunk all the time. He's just always like, he's, the all, he's always got a vine in his hand. He's always got some grapes, some, you know, fermented grape juice. He's, he's the good time God is what they called. <laughs> we all looking all holy. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about that. My BC days. Oh, hold on. Where's my jacket of religion? I can't say that without this right here. It's my, it's my, my BC days. I can't relate to you except before I met Jesus, I guess. Back when I was a loser. I'm telling you, man, this is applicable. Okay, I'm just going to keep this up here for the next few weeks. Every time I say, I'm saying, let me come on, get my jacket. Because... Because Paul must have just been laughing when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write a threambus because he's writing because this church was being, was being indoctrinated by Gnostics that were teaching that you needed to be holier. You need to celebrate the feast days. Jesus isn't enough. You got to add to it. And then Paul looks at those people and he says, well, let's see, how did Jesus do this? Kind of like threambus. And if you guys kind of looked at me sideways, they must have really stepped back. Because the, the modern-day equivalent, I would say, would be Mardi Gras. Only Mardi Gras was more tame than the Bacchanalia, the celebration of Bacchus. But it was kind of like that. You know, beads, a whole lot of other stuff, and alcohol. Essentially, Paul is saying to the first-century church, Jesus Mardi Gras'd over his enemies. And all those religious people said, no, 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 that's not Jesus. Quick story. I, um, see, do I have time? Yeah, no, I don't. No, I don't have time. I have a Mardi Gras story. I was going to share that. So never mind. The Lord doesn't want me to share the Mardi Gras story. But the truth is, we get weird and freaked out by that. Because drunkenness, right, is forbidden in Scripture. Clearly. Uh, several different places we know. And, but, but do you think it's any coincidence that Scripture says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, why would God put those two in the same sentence? Or do you think it's a coincidence that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 people that were in the upper room, Peter had to, had to go downstairs and talk to all the onlookers and say, look, 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 I know you think they're drunk, 
but they're not. I find it, I think, has anybody ever had to do that at City Chapel? Have we ever had to go out into the parking lot and be like, I know these folks stumbling out of here. They look kind of sloshed, but but I know they're, they're really not. Like, seriously, it's just been communion. That's all we had, like, for real. Like, like no, we don't do that. And I think one of the reasons why we don't have the resurrection power of the early church is because we don't have the abandonment to the Spirit of God that the early church had. We're too concerned about how we look. But what will they think of us, Pastor? They might think we've been... And And we're so scared to even talk about Mardi Gras because we're afraid that people will be attracted to it more than this. Because let's face it, it is a lot more fun than this. But the early church, Paul, he wasn't like, oh no, if I talk about the fact that he Mardi Gras it, people might get those two confused. Of course you wouldn't get it confused because when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that is way, that kind of wine is way better than this kind of wine. There's no hangover, there's no regrets, there's no blackouts, there's no addiction. Well, there's kind of addiction, but it's the kind that keeps feeding your spirit and your soul. When you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, nobody has to tell you, hey, 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 um, you probably shouldn't go get drunk. The reason why you keep getting drunk is because you've never been filled with the Spirit. You've never had the real thing. You keep turning to the fake thing. Once you experience Him, He's so good. I am so convinced. Money back guarantee. He's so good that you'll never go back to that because that was a fake cheap imitation and so Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit invokes the image of the worship of Bacchus and I mean hey Jesus said I am the vine you are the branches not the grapefruit tree not the apple tree he said I'm the vine that's the thing that produces grapes that produces wine and on the night that Jesus was betrayed I always thought this was kind of gutsy he grabbed a wine glass and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant. Really? Wine? Jesus, aren't you concerned your followers are all going to get drunk? I mean, I would have grabbed, like, espresso. This, my friends, the juice of the coffee bean, the pure unadulterated, like, you know, the lifeblood that fuels the dreams of champions. I would have I would have grabbed some espresso, but no, Jesus grabs wine? And he says, this is the cup of a new covenant, and this is also symbolic of my blood. Well, of course, when you are the vine, the stuff flowing through your veins would probably be the juice. He says, he so quickly identifies with what we try to pull away from. It's interesting how God is so quick to identify with what we are scared to associate with. And it's throughout, man, you look throughout scripture. When the 12 spies went into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, they didn't bring back jars of milk or bowls of honey. What did they bring back? Grapes, the vine, big old grapes. And when God was describing how he wanted the tabernacle to be built, and he, and he had them build what the modern day Jews call the menorah, the big, the big candle, it's about six feet tall. He gave them specific instructions how he wanted it decorated kind of like a vine coming up from the ground one vine coming up from the ground with little little leaves on it and little 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 bits of fruit growing off of it growing straight about six feet tall and then at about four feet he wanted three branches coming off on each side and three plus three equals six and six is the number of man and Jesus said I am the vine and you are the branches if you remain connected to me you will bear much fruit and all of these three branches are all at the same level because all humanity is at the same level but Christ is the head and Christ is the foundation and he's growing us into this this thing that's producing that's producing wine this is why this is this is my this is my last point the early church the early church used the name Bacchus as a code word for Christ. The early church was uh, persecuted. They were persecuted everywhere. You couldn't just walk up in Starbucks and say, hey, I'm Harry and I go to City Chapel. I mean, you could, but then they would say, where exactly is that and when do you meet? Because the police are going to show up and drag you off. You couldn't even say, hey, I'm a Christian because they'd say, okay, what's your name? I'm going to report you. So you had to be a little secretive about it. So one of the things the early church did, if you met somebody at Starbucks, you'd say, hey man, I'm a follower of Bacchus, <laughs> the god of wine and revelry. I just think that's hilarious. And so the other guy is like, oh man, I'm a follower of Zeus. Zeus is our savior. Oh, it's true, man. You know, Zeus bless you. I don't know what they'd say. I don't know. Zeus, you know, 
Kazoo's tight, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, so you, so you, well, within, within your H-E-B and you're aligned with H-E-B and you say, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a follower of Zeus. Really? Yeah, I'm a follower of Zeus, too. He's the way, the truth, and the life, man. Oh, Bacchus, that's right. Don't switch over to Zeus. Yeah, Bacchus is the way, the truth, and the life. Really? Yeah, well, me and a couple other Bacchus followers, we're going to be having a Bacchanalia Sunday morning, 11 a.m., 12110 Manshack Road, Suite 201, Austin, Texas, 787748. And uh, if you want to bring some of your Bacchus friends, we'll have a raucous around Bacchus. <laughs> that may be where that word came from. I seriously don't. So, somebody go look that up. And, and, and you say, well, wait a minute. Why did these guys choose Bacchus? Well, because one, he always had a vine with him. Jesus said, I am the vine. Two, he was the son of Zeus, and, uh, the, you know, the supposedly the big shot God, and, and a human woman, kind of like Jesus. And three, he was resurrected by Zeus, one of the few demigods that were actually resurrected by Zeus in mythology. And uh, I was reading some ancient text before Christ was born. This was written about Bacchus and about the celebration of Bacchus. And they said that whenever, uh, that whenever a Roman would drink um, pure wine, they were to lift up the glass and say um, thanks, gratitude to the, the good deity, meaning Bacchus. And then after a while, the feast would go on. They would water down the wine a little bit. Well, the watered down wine, they were to hold up and, and, and give glory to Zeus, our savior is what they would say, Zeus, our savior. Because Zeus gave water, according to them, the Greek mythology, Zeus gave the water, which is necessary to life. But Bacchus gave us wine, which they said was necessary to enjoy in life. Even before Christ was born, you can see even in the pagans' mythology, this yearning in the heart of man to find someone who, what did Jesus say, John 10, 10, who is, who, who has come that we may have life and that we ha may have it more abundantly. We have a strong desire to find someone who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We have someone, we have such a strong desire to find our originator, our creator, but also our redeemer, all within the same person. We are looking to worship the deity who is both the God who gives us life and the God who is good God who makes life worth living. Is it any coincidence that on Jesus' first miracle, they brought him a bowl of water and they walked away with a bowl of wine? Maybe it's just me, but God himself came in the flesh and demonstrated that he was necessary to life and that he was there to help us actually enjoy life. And in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 15, Paul uses this exact same word when he says that Christ leads us in a triumphant or a triambus procession. And it's a picture of Bacchus defeating India. None of this is true. This is all mythology. I hope you know that. But apparently, Bacchus defeated India. He's a demigod. He can do a lot of cool things. He, he took out India. He defeated, conquered India. However, he didn't like enslave India necessarily. Instead, he taught them how to grow vineyards and how to make wine. Because <laughs> he was good time God because that's what he does why is it that 2,000 years later we don't see Jesus as the good time God why is it we see him as the mournful the you better shape up or ship out you better get it right you better get your jacket right and fix your collar why is it we don't see him as the God who conquered us in order to empower us to be more us that we were created to be why why do we need convincing that he's good because we've bought into the lies of the enemy that he's not to be trusted he's not he doesn't have our best interest at heart and that's probably why we find it really hard to worship him in the difficult seasons because we really wonder at the end of it all is he doing this for himself or is he doing it for us is he just out for what he can get from us or does he have a wonderful purpose for us and if you're not careful You'll meet Jesus, the, the good time God. And you'll walk away with this idea of the harsh, judgmental teacher who just wants to make sure I'm doing what's right because otherwise he gets mad. 
And so, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, who is the embodiment of your heart for us. He is the embodiment of your love for us. And Lord, we just repent. We change our mind. We repent of this version of Jesus that we've had. God, we want to see Jesus more like a smiling, good time, God. Not, obviously, not physical drunkenness, not the craziness that goes along with Mardi Gras, but something even better, something even more joyful, something even more peaceful, something even more grace-filled. God who reaches down to... that Mardi Gras has a lot of traps, actually. A whole lot of peanut butter, but nobody's getting fed. And yet you offer us the actual thing. You offer us the thing we were looking for. The identity that we were looking for all along. You're not so unlike. The enemy has tried to disguise this trap to look a lot like you. But Lord, we give you honor and we give you glory for loving us, for pursuing us, for being there for us, for accepting us right where where we're at, for taking us to the next level, for conquering our sin, for conquering our rebellion, for conquering our doubt, for conquering our addictions, for conquering us and then turning around, not enslaving us, but turning around and saying, now let me teach you how to live. Let me teach you how to enjoy life. Let me teach you how to really celebrate. Let me teach you how to really have joy and peace and love in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to drink some of that wine. We, we're not interested in the fake stuff. We're interested in the Holy Spirit. We're interested in the power of the Holy Spirit, filling, saturating, soaking our lives without regard to what people think or how they might judge us. Take off the code of independence and the code of religion. We allow you to be the central figure in our lives, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you. We celebrate what you've done. You're so good. Never wanted us to bow our heads all the time. It was actually the sun god that originated that whole thing. You wanted us to look full into your wonderful face and let the things of earth go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Jesus' name, we pray and we ask for you to go with us as we go today, Lord. Amen.